Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And so God is not going to be glorified through Gideon's army. God is going to be glorified in, in a very small number of Gideon's army. And they're going to know for sure that they had nothing to do with it. But if God wasn't for them, they would be a complete disaster. They would be consumed. Welcome, everyone, to today's Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. God already reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 to 10,000. Here, he reduces it from 10,000 to 300 men. He did this because 10,000 men were still too many for God's purpose. We rarely think that largeness can be a hindrance to the work of God. Yet it is harder to truly rely on God when we have many wonderful resources at hand. Though it certainly can be done, it is hard to be big and to rely only on the Lord. When we are big, it is possible to do a lot in human resources and still give the credit to our God. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. And this is a time during the time of Saul's reign, the, the Israel's first king, as you recall, and Jonathan was his son. And the Philistines at the time were really creating a problem for Saul. And in fact, the Philistines were a thorn in the side of Israel uh, through David's reign, uh, uh, through most of it. And uh, we're going to see Jonathan his son, who was really a great and wonderful man. The Bible says that he and David had such a friendship and their love for each other was so great because they had a real brotherly love. It was a really strong bond between these two guys. But notice in verse 1 what it says uh, of Jonathan. It says, Now it happened on the day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side, but he did not tell his father. So here Jonathan is doing this unbeknownst to his father, who is the king. And, I, and the reason I'm bringing this passage up is I, I want you to see the faith of Jonathan. And we see that God can do a lot through someone very little in their own sight. And so verse 2 it says, Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gabeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. 
So he's kind of doing this with his armor bear, kind of on the down low, kind of stealth. And so between the passes, between these passes, these mountains, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sena. And the front of one faced northward, opposite Michmash, and the other southward, opposite Gibeah. But notice what it says in verse 6. Then Jonathan said to the young man who is his armor-bearer, Come, let us go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And notice just the zeal and the faith of this young man. Would to God that Saul had that kind of faith. I sometimes wonder if Jonathan, his son, ought to have been the king instead of him. Uh, But Jonathan realized that he uh, and this armor bearer, they they could take these guys on. And Uh, It says in verse 14 of that same chapter, says, This first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about 20 men within about half of an acre of a land. So if you picture a half of an acre of land and Jonathan and his armor-bearer going against 20 men who are interspersed throughout that half of an acre of land, that's basically what it was. But it was two against 20. Or actually, yeah, and so uh, those odds aren't really good, but... um, uh, Jonathan had this faith in God, and God answered him and gave him the strength and the wherewithal to overcome these Philistines. Turn with me just a few chapters uh, to your right and go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is an event that we all know very well. It was the, the fight between David and Goliath. So open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 41. And you recall that uh, the Philistine giant, Goliath, came out into the valley of Elah, and he's uh, disdaining David. He's looking, he's a giant man. He's probably over nine feet tall. This man is a seasoned war veteran, and out comes this good-looking, he probably looks like John Bon Jovi, and he's coming out, and he's, he's coming out, with, he's just this little guy, little teenager. He doesn't have any armor on. He's got nothing but a sling and some stones and his staff in his hand. And he comes out against Goliath. And so verse 41, we'll pick up right there. It says, So the Philistine came, and he began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the, sh- the Philistine look- looked about David and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking, and looked like John Bon Jovi. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So he's not only cursing David, but he's also cursing the God of David, Jehovah. And that's not a really good thing to do. Um, you, you'll notice that it doesn't turn out very well for him. So uh, it says, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but guess what? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. Thank you very much. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air 
and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And notice verse 47. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into our hands. Notice David is coming out, and he's got nothing but a sling. I mean, think of it. I mean, being in that valley of Elah and seeing the way the land is laid out is really marvelous because you see how they were all staged and how and what it might have looked like. And this young guy comes out with a sling and stones, five smooth stones. And he, he winds up, and I love what it says in the next verse. It says that David hurried and he ran toward the giant. That kind of faith and that kind of zeal is remarkable. And, and that's the kind of faith that God was saying, you know what, David, you could have tripped and fell on your face and knocked yourself out, and I would still deliver you from Goliath. You know, that's the kind of faith that God finds irresistible, you know, because David, as this guy, is just uh, uh, defying God and defying David, which David didn't see himself to be anything of any worth anyway, but he defied God, and David had spent years out in the... Um, out in the shepherd's fields, you know, and, and he would look up at the stars and he had a great communion with God. And David would not take that defying of God any longer. And He runs and he kills the giant. And he does exactly what he said he was going to do. But notice that this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And we're going to see tonight in Gideon in this chapter that the battle does belong to the Lord, and the Lord doesn't need sword and spear. And you'll see, actually, in this battle, there really wasn't a battle. Uh, The men of the Midianites and the Amalekites, they end up turning on themselves and killing each other, and then they start running toward the Jordan River to the east, and then the Israelites follow them, and they they, they take care of them then. But there's really no uh, battle where they come together. The, the, The army ends up running for their lives. But I love what it says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. This is a wonderful verse to put to memory if you haven't already And it's um, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Might doesn't make right, and it doesn't matter how much you've got, but it's by God's spirit. And God's spirit was with Gideon, and God was going to deliver Gideon into, uh, or I'm sorry, he's going to deliver the Midianites and the Amalekites into the hand of Midian, and it would be God's battle. God's battle. Remember that it is God's battle, folks, because... As we look around in our world, sometimes we can, we can get our kingdoms confused. And we have to be careful. We have to remember who, who it is that we're serving. We don't serve anything but Jesus Christ. And we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord. In Romans 8, chapter 31, it says this, If God is for us, Paul says to the Romans, who can be against us? And that's a wonderful verse to memorize as well. Because... Uh, God is is faithful, and if God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is, there's no one. There's no one. In, in Numbers chapter 14, you recall, again, these are just some examples from the Old Testament. Right before the children of Israel were going into the Promised Land, Moses was still alive at this time in Numbers chapter 14, but it was when they brought the uh, the, the 12 spies, went into the land of Canaan, and remember, all of them returned a bad report except Caleb and Joshua. And um, when the the people began to grow fearful and lack in faith and not trust God and and what he told them to do because of this, uh, these uh, bad, um, 
the, the bad witness, really, of ten of these men, the people were upset, and they were very fearful, and they, they were ready to, to stone uh, Joshua and Caleb for even suggesting that they go through with this plan. And Joshua and Caleb respond to their unbelief in Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, and let me read it to you. It says, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes because of the the grief of the unbelief of the children of Israel. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good land. And that's exactly what the Lord told them. It would be a land uh, uh, filled with... uh, what, what it, milk and honey, that's right. <laughs> milk and honey, that's a good combination. And so God told him that that's what it was. And he says in verse 8, If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. <laughs> there we go. Only do not rebel against the Lord, he says, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. In other words, we're going to consume them, and their protection has departed from them. And notice, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. And see, that's one thing we have to remember. As Gideon is learning, God is with us. God plus you, or you plus God, is overwhelming odds against any enemy, against any obstacle. If it's just me, I'm going to be consumed, and it's going to be over very quickly. But you plus God equals success. And whatever that success means, it means whatever God's will is. That's what success is. With you plus God, whatever His will is, is success. And in fact, and that's why I love one of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's never left us. He said He would never leave us nor forsake us, even to the end of the age which we are now. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, what does it say? 1 John 4, verse 4 says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We know that the spirit of Antichrist is in the world, and we, the one who dwells in us, is greater than he that is in the world. And you recall also in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha and his servant, they were outnumbered by the host that was coming against them. And remember, Elisha, Said to and prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he may see that the host, the heavenly host, that you are with us and that your host way outnumbers the enemy that's surrounding us. And that's what the Lord did. He opened his eyes and saw that behind and around the camp, around the enemy that was surrounding Elisha and his servant was this heavenly army. And all of a sudden, it looked like a slaughter. And you recall that the Lord gave Elisha the command to strike these guys with blindness. And it was actually a good thing. They had a peace between them and Assyria, or Syria at that time as a result. But let's go on. So God is with us. He is always with us. He's never left. He's never left you. And there are times when you may feel like God has left you. And a lot of times our emotions... And, you know, our emotions are a tricky thing because uh, so often, Christians, we are led by our emotions rather than led by the Spirit of God. And the devil knows our frame as well. He, he doesn't know us like God knows us, but he knows enough about human flesh. He knows how to manipulate that flesh to get us off the path. And God is always wanting us to be on the path. And so our emotions sometimes, if we're not careful, that's why we have to rule over those things and not allow our emotions to to get us off the path. Because they do, and they often do. Perhaps you 
today. Maybe you flew off the handle. Maybe you got angry about something. Maybe you yelled at your kids. Maybe you yelled at your spouse uh, because you were frustrated. And isn't everybody frustrated right now? Isn't isn't there a lot of tension uh, in so many things? And you know, um, and so give your heart to the Lord and and, and trust Him and, and let Him work on those things that are deep in our hearts. So notice at the end of verse two it says that um, the people who are with you are too many, God says to Gideon. And, uh, and I have to, uh, there's too many of them, lest Israel claim glory for itself, saying, my own hand has saved me. Again, it's, it's humanism. I can do this, and, and I'm going to accomplish this work in my own flesh. And you see that in the, in the corporate world. You see that in the world today. But notice what it says in Isaiah. You don't have to go there, but let me just read it to you. It's a very short passage, Isaiah 42, verse 8. God says, I am the Lord, and that is my name. In my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. But I love that. His glory he will not give to another. And so God is not going to be glorified through Gideon's army. God is going to be glorified in, in a very small number of Gideon's army. And they're going to know for sure that they had nothing to do with it. But if God wasn't for them, they would be a complete disaster. They would be consumed. And I, in, in Isaiah 48, 2, verse 10, it says this, And God is speaking concerning Israel. He says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And hasn't, haven't the Israelites been tested in the furnace of affliction all throughout their, from their, from their very beginning, from their, their inception, from their conception, from the very beginning, when they started as a nation, they've been tested in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, God says, my own sake I will do it. For how should my name be profaned and I will not give my glory to another? I will not give my glory to another. And so God has to reduce the size of, of the army. It says in verse 3, and, and what we're going to see here in, in verse 3 is test one of two. There's going to be two tests that God is going to do, and this is the first one. It says, Now therefore, God tells them, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And this may be Mount Gilboa, because Mount Gilead is actually on the other side. So this may have been a scribal error, perhaps, because Mount Gilead is actually on the other side where the enemy, behind the enemy that's coming toward them, um, or in that area across the Jordan on the east side anyway. But it says, And, uh, and 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And can you imagine seeing Gideon's face as... Um, you know, this huge chunk of his army is walking away. And uh, it's true that uh, Warren Wiersbe said this, uh, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And, and that is a very good saying because God was going to test the faith of not only Gideon but the Israelites themselves so that they would know that it's not by might nor by power but by God's Spirit he's going to do this thing. And so there were a total of 32,000 men, and after this first test, uh, 10,000 remained. That's a 31 point, that's 31 and a quarter percent reduction in force. 
<laughs> that that's like a uh, that's a Fortune 500 company's uh, nightmare. Or maybe for their bottom line, it would be actually be a good thing to not have 30, you know, to lose that many people. But 31 and a quarter percent of Gideon's army were the only ones that remained out of 32,000. And so the Lord commanded a similar thing. Um, going back in Deuteronomy, and if you could just turn with me to chapter 20 in Deuteronomy, this kind of idea God had established way uh, before this, and we'll see it. Because remember what the Lord says, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once uh, from here. And so we see in Deuteronomy chapter 20, years before this battle that we're looking at tonight, uh, God spoke to the children of Israel Um, We're just going to look at the first nine verses. It says, When you go to battle, this is Deuteronomy 20, verse 1, When you go out to battle against your enemies, and you see horses and chariots. So God is encouraging them in things that they haven't even experienced yet. Experienced yet. And again, that's what a good shepherd does. Before it happens, he tells them in advance. That is really good stuff when you can get an advance notice on what's coming. He says, when you go out to battle, not if, but when, you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and you see chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Isn't that what God wants to do? He wants to save his people, not only the children of Israel, but he wants to save you. He wants to save you and me, and hopefully he's got all of us. But if there's anyone here that God doesn't have a hold of, uh, consider that tonight. You know, you, you need Jesus. I need Jesus still, even as a believer. I need him every single day, but you do too. But notice what happens in verse 5. It says, Then the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there uh, who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go. And return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicates his house. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eats of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. That'd be a bad day. <laughs> That'd be a bad day. Verse 8, here it is. The officer shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful? What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And, and so, uh, isn't that true that whenever there is one person in a group of people, and we saw this when the children of Israel, before they crossed over, after the, the, the spies had come back from the promised land. It was ten people who turned the whole country, the whole, the whole group of the Israelites, turned them against God's plan of going in and possessing the land. It, it took ten. And there was only two men who were faithful, Joshua and Caleb. So one, you know, uh, one person, even one person out of a hundred, can really uh, be a sour apple amongst the amongst the the bounty and so and that tends to spread it very rarely stays just one because all it takes is one to say i don't really think god can do this and all of a sudden you got two people looking at each other going you know i'm not really sure he can either you know we're outgunned here we're the odds are really against us i don't think god can do this i'm not up for this 
and then the, another person hears, and so it goes, and so it goes. And pretty soon this, this unbelief has infected everybody. And so it's better for God to winnow away Lord, you know, those who are fearful right from the get-go to make sure that those who are left are not fearful, that they're ready to go out and fight, and they're ready to go out and battle. And then in verse 4, we see the second test. Let's look at it. It says, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. So now with this 31 and a quarter percent reduction in his army, the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Uh, i got 10,000 now, so bring them down to the water and... Um, you don't know this, but let me just describe a scene to you. At the bottom of Mount Gilboa, there's that spring that I was telling you about. It's like a little cave that goes in about maybe 30 or 40. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.